and we are exploring as a church the biblical role of men as elders in his church. Um, last week, if you missed it, uh, you can pick that up, that sermon online, and, uh, and, and listen to that and just get familiar with what, where we're going. Uh, I want to just make sure you understand a little bit. Last week, we, we brought a recommendation to the church. It's on a piece of paper that looks like this. It's not in your bulletin this week. It's on the kiosk, though. So last week, if you're here, you got this in your bulletin. This, uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, you can grab one on the kiosk on your way out. We'd love for you uh, to pray over this and read through this. I'm going to just highlight it again briefly uh, this morning. And then on the uh, kiosk also is a, a blue piece of paper that looks like this. It's double-sided. Uh, it is the uh, lay elder uh, responsibilities sheet. So let me, let me just go uh, catch you up a little bit on the recommendation, okay? Um, we, we as a church uh, have been going through a process in the last several years uh, just organizing biblically. What, what does a, a, a biblical church look like? How is it structured? Uh, what is the necessity? Last week I talked to you about uh, my own journey, looking at scriptures and, and not really being familiar with what are elders, right, in a, in a church. And as I've never been to a church that really had elders or official elders, right, uh, to them. So, so I, I wanted to know. I, I, you know so for so, so long, I kind of just swept it aside, said, well, it's elders, it's in the Bible. But we'll get to that eventually. Or, or deacons, right? You see the office of deacons in the Bible as well. And I've been to churches with deacons. Actually, our church uh, has a provision in our constitution for deacons. So looking at what, what does this mean? What does this look like? How is this supposed to be set up? Uh, has been a great journey and a process. And as we met with uh, the church council, as the personnel committee has been involved, um, we have come to this point where we would like to, I mean, there's a, there's a whole whole overhaul we'd like to do of our, our constitution and bylaws, but that could take several years and, and lots of thought and lots of recommendation. But right now, what the, the necessity is in our body is that, that the, the, the flock, the body, would be shepherded well. And, uh, and the responsibility to do that would not just rest on one person, but on, on several men that God has called and equipped and, and that are qualified uh, to lead as elders in our church. So uh, if, you, if, if you want to know a little more, you can get that sheet. I want to read this to you um, or skim it for you. There's an explanation. Basically, it's, it's an effort for our church to become more biblically centered and structured. We, we recognize and we want to call men that God has raised up to lead and to teach the body. That's important, those two words, by the way, lead and teach. Uh, yeah, last week, we went through uh, what are the roles, right? How, how does an elder serve the church? And, and we looked at elders as servant leaders in the church, not as, as a hierarchy, not as this uh, crazy authoritative board right on the 30th floor of some tower that makes decisions for everybody, that, that actually are shepherds that are with the sheep, that are, that are people who are of character and, and of quality that can, can talk and lead and then teach the word of God to the, to the flock. Uh, Peter says, I exhort elders among you to shepherd God's flock. Elders serve the good shepherd, Jesus, by providing his local flock with spiritual oversight. So there is this direction, there is this, let's set the course, let's make sure that, that our church is on the right track or heading. As servant leaders, elders feed, lead, protect, and nurture church members like shepherds do with regular sheep. It's unbiblical or unproductive for one person to lead in that fashion. Um, so our, the, our desire then would be to, to call up uh, faithful men as elders who will care for the flock in its entirety. I mentioned, you know, one of the things that's happened in, in Christendom and in churches is that they say, well, let's, let's appoint a person that's the spiritual head over that. And you can see that, you know, the, the early church, the early church history showed this, this uh, one, oneness of, of eldership in, in bishops they would appoint in different regions. And then you have this, the, the bishops of that church, this, this Catholicism started to, to build and, and become what it is. And then you had one person over the church, right, called the Pope. Well, then you had the Reformation happen, too, because that's not what was supposed to have happened. The Reformation came and said, well, we need, we need to change. And they really wanted to change from the doctrine, what was being preached. They wanted that word of God into the hands of people. 
but the plurality of eldership kind of got put on a shelf for a while. So even in, in, in early, the early Reformation and even up to today, we see churches that have kind of just gone to one singular leader in a church and thinking that, that look what has happened in other churches and other places uh, and, and the corruption that may ensue and, and, the, and the spiritual oversight and leadership isn't there. Right? So there, there is a structure for plurality, and we talked about that last week as well, that it's a plurality of elders that are to be established in the local churches. So there's a plurality of governance and accountability, and that everyone's taken care of well, that people aren't falling through the cracks as much. Right? That's, the, that's the desire. So even now we see, uh, and it's interesting, even for us as a Southern Baptist church, uh, a lot of the, the councils and the, and the um, uh, what do you call them, the statements that have been in, embraced as, as a church, as Southern Baptist, a lot of them have all about the plurality of eldership in them. We embrace that as a, as a Southern Baptist church, right? We're a Christian church centered on, on the gospel. But it hasn't really put it, been put into play in practice until, until recently, really in the last decade or so. And, and before that, maybe, maybe let's say 25 years, there's been this embracing from community churches, non-denominational churches, say let's, let's be more biblical. What does that look like? And, and, and we're seeing more and more churches, even denominational churches, start to embrace again biblical teaching of the plurality of eldership. So I think, it's, I think we're on the right track heading that direction, but that's really important. But last week, I really want to make sure you understand, last week we talked about the importance of not having a hierarchy, this person that, or these people that are in charge and they're, they're the ones that have the last say and, and you better watch out because they're, they're, they've got their eyes on you. That's not, kind of what, that's not what we have, right? It's, it's a servant leadership model. And we talked about the passage where Jesus said, that's, these guys want to lord it over you. They want the seats of honor at banquets. They're talking about the Pharisees. They're talking about a religious uh, system that, that lifted up, or not, they elevated themselves to a place of, of power and authority that they should never have had. And Jesus said, that's not how you should do it. You need to have, if, if you want to be first, you be last, right? The, and be a servant of all. So servant leadership was modeled in, in, the, uh, in elders and in the church in general. So what we, the recommendation that came, there's a recommendation on this, this piece of paper. Many of you heard this last week. I'm going to read it again. The church council, along with the personnel committee, recommends to the church that we biblically establish elders to shepherd the flock. You see the responsibilities on that page. The names of the men recommended are Larry Schleif, Ryan Wilden, Hoyt Bradley, Alistair Curley, Jeff Repass, and David Holst. What was, what was fun last week, I, I say fun because it's a, uh, it was, as we, we talked about servant leadership in the church, I think more and more, my eyes and your eyes, as we, as we looked at the men that were on this list, we said, yeah, man, those, those are servant leaders in our church. Those are guys that, that lay down their lives, that set, set aside time, that sacrifice whatever they can to serve and love the church. They're the ones that are first in the door and last to leave. They're the ones that, that are there to help and serve and lead the body of Christ. Elders should be servants of the church, ones who serve, love, and lead the body. So that's the recommendation. Now, here's what I said last week about that. Those, those men uh, have, have aspired to the call to eldership. And, and what I mean by that is, and we'll talk about that in depth more today, but th- there is, there's a call in their heart, a stirring inside of them that says, I want to passionately devote myself to serving the church and to loving the church and to teaching the flock and shepherding the flock. They have that desire within them. I've had several conversations with each of these men reestablishing, okay, it's not under compulsion. I'm not twisting your arm here. I don't want you to be an elder if you don't want to be an elder. And there's a lot of scripture that goes against that. If you, if you desire to serve and love the church in this capacity, in the way that God has established, then, then great, let's go that way. But if you don't, let's, let's not. There's no compulsion here. But then for you and I, there was a, there's a responsibility we have in the next four weeks, five weeks, 
uh, to figure something out. And that's the next part on this paper. It says the details. These men have uh, been listed so the church, you and I, could, under prayerful guidance of the Holy Spirit, that we might have time to bring up and have answered any concerns regarding the qualifications listed on the job description or on the, on the responsibilities page. Right? By the way, this is a lay elder position. This is not a paid position, not paid staff. We're not hiring you know, these, these guys. We are, we are calling them, confirming them to a place of servant leadership in our church. So if there's a concern, right? If you, if you have a concern or if I have a concern, here's, here's what that means, okay? And, and it, by the way, a concern about their qualifications or their calling. It's, it's not that you, and I said this last week, it's not that you like a certain soccer team or you don't. It's not that you have a funny lisp or that you are awkward around certain people. Those things, the, the preference stuff is not stuff we're going to debate and hash out, right? Are we all different? We're all different, right? It's okay that you're different and I'm different and we can, we can have differences and still be part of the body of Christ. So those are, those are okay. We aren't trying to find this model perfect statue of an elder that fits all of, our, all of our desires and preferences. What we're looking at is the biblical qualifications of an elder. So if there's, if there's one of these men that has, has sinned against you or against me, I, it's our responsibility to talk to that person. To go and say, listen, I, I, you may not even know, but a long time ago this happened, and I'm, I've been holding it against you. We need to clear the air. We need to get this figured out. Do you, do you still have this position? Do you still stand this way? Do you still believe that? Ho- the hope is, and in servant leaders, and humble servant leaders, and I've, I've counseled all these guys, if people come and talk to you, you are just be humble and listen and see what God needs to do in that relationship and how to restore. If there's any sense of pride or arrogance there or unrepentant sin, then you and I have the right to take it to the next step. Because we do not want prideful, arrogant, bitter, angry men to lead as servant leaders. They shouldn't. So all of these guys have said, put, put my name out there. Put my name out there. I want to humbly serve the church. I want to repent if I've sinned in some way against you. So it's your, and yours and my responsibility to talk to them. So if a concern arises, it will be the individual responsibility of a member to first bring it to the attention of the nominated elder so the matter can be settled. Only if the matter could not be settled should an individual bring it to the attention of the pastor and or church council. After this prayerful consideration, the final list of qualified and called men will be presented for confirmation at the church business meeting in July. So that, that's how we're doing that. In this next uh, several weeks, July 18th is our business meeting. Um, so you have between now and then, if you have something you need to answer, to, to go and talk to them. Now here, here's what I would say also. Um, and I, you can take it or leave it. I think that it, when we talk about the consistency of a person and the qualifications in a person to lead as a humble servant leader, um, we are going to look at the basis, the overarching w- uh, direction their life goes. Right? Do, do you have blips on your life that you wish you could erase? Absolutely, right? Do you get angry sometimes and, oh, man, I really messed up that time, right? I, and, and here's what our tendency is, and I tell you this in relationship with your spouse, too, or maybe, maybe your kids or maybe a friend. You think about this. You're, you're hanging out, you're talking, you're visiting, you're together, and something comes up, and, and you can see something rises in that person, and they get angry, or they, something sparks, or they, or they bite at you, and they sin against you, right? That happens. And, and usually what, here's my advice to most people. Just humble yourself. Don't get all amped up. Don't get all bent, bent out of shape. Don't get all defensive and make a wall. Really think, what, what's happening here? What, what's the heart and the core of what's happening? Could they be having a bad day? Could they have got a bad night's sleep last night? But here's the question that really helps me decide whether I need to hold it against that person and hold that person accountable or not. Is this the habit of their lives? Or 
is this, is this kind of an anomaly? Like, that is not normal for this person. And for me, for my personal life and in, in, in relation with people, if someone sins against me or is an error in some way and, and does something, and it's, it's just a flippant, quick thing that is way out of character, you know what I do? I let it go. I let it go. Say, I, lo- I love you, brother. It's okay. I let it go. Because that wasn't the habitual way of their life. So overall, when we talk about elders and the qualifications, we're going to look at that today. Uh, we're going to be seeing, like, there's some strict things here. There's some things that we need to make sure are in line. But what it is, it's, it's is the course of their life going in that direction, overarching? I'm sure there's going to be blips on the radar, but how have they handled those blips? Have they repented of those? Have they, have they, have they set those aside and said, that's not how I want to act. That's not how I want to be. I want to be different. And they have, they have shown themselves in that way. So if you have something, and here's what, and here's what I'm getting to. If you have something that, that may be one of those blips that's just a really, really big anomaly that's not in character at all, you could just say, you know what, I, I just need to let that go. They have not shown that at all since then, and I, it just must have been a, a weird moment. And maybe you can't, and that's okay. Then go, go and talk to them. Go and say, listen, there's something I just can't let go of. Can we talk about this and clear the air? Absolutely. They are willing to hear that, and we want that. We want to support the unity and purity of our church, so you and I have a responsibility to these men and to our church to talk to them if we need to, okay? So here's just a schedule on here. I want to let you know, I talked about this last week. We're preaching through this uh, through July 14th, uh, except on July 7th. As Ryan said, we're going to be in the park worshiping with the other churches uh, for July 7th service. But tonight, tonight we're having our our first of two Q&As. So the Q&As are are regarding the topic that I presented. So you can ask questions about last week's sermon or this week's sermon. You may bring up questions about some random thing that you just have have to get answered. We'll try to answer that for you as best we can. One of the things I mentioned last week is this. We, we don't have this total structure thing, bylaws and, and constitution worked out. We don't, there are some questions that we just don't have the answer to yet. But what we do know is that we need to, to, to affirm elders in our church to lead us spiritually and guide us and to serve and love the church. And, we, and, that, and that's what we're pursuing. And it's okay to have some of the questions not quite answered yet. That's something we'll wrestle with as a church, and that's something the, the, the future elders will wrestle with and, and come up with and lead and guide the church, and that's okay. But please feel free tonight to come 530 uh, here in the sanctuary. We'll, uh, we'll talk about those things that you might have questions about. I would love it if you would submit those ahead of time. I mentioned that last week. We have got just one question submitted since last week, and, and maybe that means you're all good and you all have your questions answered. Uh, maybe you just haven't submitted it and you want to do it off the cuff. That's fine, too, and I have no problem answering questions off the cuff, but if you give me a little time to prepare or find, a, find an answer for you, I would love to find an answer for you. So you can submit that. Uh, maybe you have my cell number. You can text it to me because no one's really emailed it, but you can email it. Uh, you write it down today on a welcome card. Put it in the, in the little kitty there. At the, or Well, it's already gone. Give it to the sound booth or Alistair, and, and we'll get it for tonight. We can kind of hash out those questions, okay? So tonight at 530 here, I'd love to have you here for Q&A. There will be another Q&A time on July 14th as well at 3 in the afternoon. So that's, that's the recommendation. Pick it up in the lobby. This is the elder lay elder responsibility sheet. You can pick that up and look at that in the lobby as well. Again, last week we talked about the, uh, the necessity of them being servant leaders in, in the church. Uh, Titus 1.5, this is kind of the theme verse for me before we get to Timothy. It says, this reason I left you in Crete, and it was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. That's, that's what we're trying to be faithful to. Let's, let's, whatever might have been left undone, let's, let's set it and make it right, appointing elders in our church. So let's pray and we'll get into the word. Father, thank you so much for today and the opportunity you have to, uh, you've given us to st- study scriptures and, and God to, uh, to see a, n- a new season, God, in your church. God, we pray, we, we earnestly pray that you would lead and guide us 
that you would fill us with your spirit, God, you would, you would help us to, to be the church that you have created us to be. We desire that. So open our hearts and our minds today as we look to your word. May you impart grace and wisdom to us, Lord, conviction of sin. God, may we be conformed in the image of the Son, holding up the truth of who he is to all around. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in 1 Timothy chapter, th- uh, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to jump down to verses 14 through 16 together. 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and into the, into the devil's trap. Now, the next section in here is talking about deacons, and we'll get to that as a church later on. But let's, let's skip down to verse 14. This really is the theme, 14, 15, 16. Uh, it really is the theme of, of the letters to Timothy. When Paul writes, he said, this is, this is what I want you to know. This is what I want to have happen amongst you. And here's what he says. He says, I write these things to you, hoping to come soon. But if I should be delayed, I have written, here it is, so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. And most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. He, that is Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. This is, this is the theme of, of these, epistle, these, these letters to, to Timothy. The theme is, how are we to conduct ourselves in the household of God? And it's really important for you and I to understand that you and I have a responsibility to that as well. And, and I think it lays it out there. I'm going to look at a couple things as far as this introduction goes uh, regarding what we just read, especially verses 14 through 16. Um, the couple things that it says is, first of all, uh, that, that he says, I'm not, I'm not there, but if I'm delayed, I've written so you would know how to conduct yourselves. That we would know how to conduct ourselves, right? We would know what's right, what's wrong, what's an error, what's truth. Right, so he's writing that to us, and if you look at the epistles here, and you see it, the other ones as well that he wrote, you can harmonize those together and say, wow, we, we can see what, what God's people ought to be doing and what they ought to be like. But here's, here are the three areas that he described the church. He said that we are the household of God, or God's household. So he said, how do you conduct yourself in God's household? So we are the household of God. What does that mean to be a household? Think about your own family, and a lot of people say, and theologians would say, that the family unit, the one at home, is a mini-church to what is going on as the big gathering. So what is the household of God? Well, in the household of God, there's a dad. His name's God. He sets the rules. He sets the tone. He sets sets the direction of the house. When we gather together as the household of God, we don't come with our own preferences. We don't come with our own desire say, this is what I want to do. This is how I think it should go. We come and humble ourselves and submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to God the Father. This is God's household. God's household. The next thing he says, it's the, this is how you conduct yourself in the household of God, right? Which is the church of the living God. 
That's the second thing. We're the church of the living God. It's not that we are just, okay, we have these rules that he left us, and I guess we'll try to follow those the best we can and figure it out as we go. As Christians gather, a Christian, first of all, a Christ follower, is someone who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and has been saved from their sin. They've trusted Christ as their, as their redemption, as their righteousness, that they have nothing in them that they can take before God and say, here, you have to accept me. No, they say, I've got nothing. I need Jesus, my everything. And Jesus has become their everything. And what Scripture promises is that when we come to faith in Christ, He then indwells us with His Holy Spirit. That now living inside of us is the same power through the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? That's exciting. But it also says that as we gather together, God dwells among us. See, there's this mystery in Scripture, and we're going to see that mystery in a minute. But God is dwelling among us. So we are the church of the living God. That, that as you and I gather in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, God is here right now that He is leading, that He is guiding, that He is convicting us of sin, that we should expect that as a church, as the household of God. We don't come just dressed fancy for the day, ready to do our morning service before we go to brunch. That we come ready to see and receive powerfully from the living God. That's what we expect. That we are a family, the household of God. We're all His kids. He's the Father. He's in charge. And that He is amongst us, dwelling amongst us and in us for His glory and for our benefit the third thing it says there this household of god is the pillar and foundation of the truth you and i have a job as god's household as god's kids that the church of god would be the pillar and foundation of truth now he writes this to timothy who's in ephesus and Ephesus has the, the temple of Diane there. And, and this temple has these huge columns holding up this huge marble roof, right? This huge, huge monument to, 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 of Diane. And, and so what he's saying is like, just as that monument, just as it has all these pillars, what are those pillars doing? They're, a found, they're on a foundation holding up something magnificent. Now that's all for the unbelievers who don't know God and don't know the magnificence of God. And they think, wow, this amazing, amazing building. They worship their false gods. But for you and I as the church, what he says is whether you have a building that has big piers or not or, or columns or not, that you and I as the church make this pillar that holds up the truth, that we are a foundation of truth. And that's this right here. See, we, we hold God's word firm. That's our job as the church. We hold this firm and we, we lift it up high. And say, this is where we start. This is where we end. This is where the buck stops. That's what we are as a church. I mentioned that last week. I, I said, listen, I, I want you and I want me to want this more than anything else. As we, have a, as we are a church and we come, come, as, uh, come as a church, a household of God, a family, kids to the Father. As we come and, and are a part of the living God, or the church of the living God. Right, as He is amongst us and His power is here, His presence is here, as we do that, then we say we lift up Him, we lift up His truth and word above everything else. That includes my preferences. That includes my baggage or the way it's been done or I've, I've had it done for years and years and years. I do not want to compromise God's word and I don't want to be outside of God's word. I want us to be right here. And God's word says that. That is a church, the household of God. That's what the household of God does. They are the, the pillar and foundation of truth. They lift up the word 
high. They hold God's word firm. And this all kind of comes around. It's, he says, this is how you should conduct yourselves, or this is how the people of God should behave. What does it have to do with it? Well, that's, that's what the next verse says. This mystery, right? That God dwells amongst us and says in verse 16, and most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. Godliness, that pursuit of desiring to conduct ourselves in a way that's according to God's word, it's great. He said, and it's not like this is profound. As far, no, it is profound. It's not, it's not perplexing. It's, it's not a great mystery that we don't understand. The mystery is evident, and here it is. It's that he, he was manifested in the flesh. So it's, the mystery is Jesus, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. That Christ has entered humanity, that Christ was our Savior, that Christ became flesh and dwelt among us, and that by the power of the Spirit, he accomplished the finished work on the cross. We have this great mystery. How do we live a godly life? Well, the mystery is this, and Paul says it in another, another uh, epistle. He says, the mystery is Christ in you and Christ in me. Jesus lives in us. So how do we pursue godliness? How do we conduct ourselves as a household of God? We let Christ reign. And we let Christ's word reign in our hearts. And this is thus how we are to be led. It's how we see God using people to keep watch over his household. So that's when we go back to the first part, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So we're going to look at, we're going to look at just that. What, what do elders do? Well, they keep watch over the church, that they accomplish that mission that we just talked about, that they would be the household of God, children under God's authority, right? That they would be the church of the living God, that we would let God's spirit guide and direct us and, and, and set the course. And finally, that we would be a pillar of, and foundation of truth, holding up God's word above everything else. And how has God helped us to do that? Well, he's given us elders. Really, two main points. There's three points, but two main points today. Number one is this. Elders keep watch over the church because they're called. Number one, they're called. They're called. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says this, And he himself, that is Jesus, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. We talked about this last week. We used this passage, that, and, and it talked about built for building up the saints, right? For, for becoming fullness and mature in Christ is what we have these gifts for. But that elders are God's gift. Teachers, pastors are, el are, are God's gift to the church. And we brought that up on Father's Day because we, we see that God's gifts to the family are men who will love, lead, and serve the church. And God's gift to the family of God are men who will love, lead, and serve the church. That's a gift God has given us so we might become mature. And I want to go back to these two words again, some to pastors and teachers. These are words that are synonymously used in, in eldership. Uh, elder is an overseer, right? Eld, elder, overseer, pastor, shepherd, uh, bishop in some translations, but it's more back to overseer. But the two main functions, and we talked about four main functions last week, but the two main functions are to lead, right, and teach, they would lead the way and show, show with authority, this is God's word, this is where God wants us to go, and then they would teach the word of God to the people. They would lead and teach. Hold on to those two words for later, okay? But they're called. How are they called? They're called by God. God gave the church pastors. God gave the church shepherds. God gave the church elders. So God is the one who gives us the same. Acts 20, 28 says, Be on guard for yourselves, this is talking to the elders, and for, the, for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as an overseer 
Who called them to eldership? Who appointed them to that? God, the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit did. Now, it doesn't mean you and I don't have a responsibility with checks and balances and accountability to make sure that they are qualified as well. And we'll get into that as well. He said, be on guard for yourselves and all the flock for which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as an overseer to shepherd God's church. It kind of gets muddy there. Some people, oh, an overseer. See, they, it's power hungry. No, it's, what does the overseer do? They shepherd the church of God. They're a shepherd. They're a guide. They're a leader. They come in there with the sheep and they help them. They take care of them. They bandage them and they carry them. They wipe them off. They, they lead them to green pastures. They're servant leaders. Which, by the way, in, in the last part of this verse, it says, which he, Jesus, purchased with his own blood. See, overseers or elders have been called by God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to lead and shepherd the church, which he purchased with his blood. You see, there's, there's a great importance God places on the church. I purchased her with my blood. I want people that I call to lead and guide and take care of that church. See, God just doesn't leave us hanging high and dry. He says, I want you to be led. I want you to be nurtured. I want you to be nourished. I want you to be served because you are special to me and, and I bought you with my blood. So he gives us this gift of leaders to love, lead, and serve the church. In 1 Timothy 3.1, that's in our passage today, it says this, this is a trustworthy saying, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. Well, that noble work, what is that noble work? Go what I just read above, right? God appointed us overseers to shepherd the church, bought with his blood. That's a noble work. That's a, a tough work. Hebrews tells us that, that we gotta, we got to pay attention and, and honor our leaders because they keep watch over our souls as ones who have to give an account for that. Men who are called to eldership will have to stand before Jesus and have to give an account for the sheep they were, they were supposed to shepherd. That's, that is a weight on shoulders. That's not, a, that's not a, a gift of power and prestige. It's a noble task. And not many aspire to that. But I want to talk about that aspiration. You think, I think it said this earlier. If you have to twist somebody's arm to serve as an elder, he has no business serving as an elder. He has no business taking on that responsibility because there's no aspiration. There's no deep love for that. Like I said earlier, I've, I've talked several times to each one of these men. Are you sure you aspire to this? Are you sure you aspire to this? Because there's no, no number in Scripture. We don't have to have three. We don't have to have 20. We, it's what, whatever God calls and whoever God, God shows us is qualified. These men have all said we aspire. We aspire to serve the church. Aspiring to the office of elder suggests a passionate desire to serve and shepherd the congregation. Paul's word for aspiring to the office, it, it, it's the idea of someone stretching out their hand to the office of elder and saying, I have a genuine desire, I have a genuine passion, a stirring in my heart to serve and love God's church. And, and here's, the, here's the problem. We, we come to that place where we say, well, someone could aspire that just wants power. Yeah, they could maybe fool us, but that's why then we're given a list of qualifications if someone wants to aspire for the sake of power, a quick look at those qualifications would squash impure motives, right? I want to read one more passage. and Turn, turn with me to 1 Peter. Keep your, keep your ribbon here in, in uh, 1 Timothy. Turn to 1 Peter, if you would. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5. 
verses 2 and 3. going into the call and to the qualifications. It says, Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Amazing, amazing passage. Examples to the flock. So there's this willingness to say, I'm going to answer a call, a stirring in my heart to serve the church. But look at, look at verse number four here. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's accountability here, isn't there? Someone who aspires to eldership knows that they will have to give an account before Jesus. Whether Jesus says, hey, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. Or what did you do to my church, you wicked servant? That is something they will have to give an account to. So as they aspire, there's a responsibility on their shoulders, but there's an aspiration that says, I want to serve and love and lead God's church. And how do we know that that's really true in their heart? Well, it goes in and says, you will, you will be models to the flock with your life. It says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. There's a, there's a character, a lifestyle that's going to show an example. So, so listen, we're, next we're going to go into the next, the number two, and that's, they're, they're qualified. But, but there can be, I, I need to make sure you understand, there, there can be qualified people, right, to be elders that aren't called and should not be an elder. It, they have to go together. And there can be someone who says, I'm called, I'm called, I'm called, but their life is a mess. Their life is a wreck, and they are not qualified to serve in that position. You might aspire to that, but we, you know what, we have some sin to deal with and some growing up to do. So you might be called and not qualified. You might be qualified and not called. But if you're not both, you can't aspire to be an elder. You can't, you can't be an elder in a church. So number, number two is this. Elders keep watch over the church because they're qualified. They're qualified to do that. We're going to look at a lot of different things here, but I want to set the stage a little bit. Um, if you would turn with me, go back to the, the Timothys, and we're going to keep your ribbon at 1 Timothy, but we're going to go to 2 Timothy for just a moment. Chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And, and I want us to see uh, kind of the, the overarching picture, the snapshot. Uh, as Paul writes to Timothy, he says, this is how I want you to conduct yourself in the household of God, right? That you would, you would be a household of God, that he would be dwelling amongst you, the church of the living God, and you'd be a pillar of foundation of truth, lifting up God's word as supreme. And, and there's this picture, though, of, that was happening during that time. This is the, the contextualization of this passage, understanding deeply what was happening and it still happens today, by the way. But as a new church was formed, th- this was a, a new concept to so many people. And so many people had already established their own ways of thinking, their own religions, their own cults, whatever they wanted. And they were pursuing those things instead. So what happened when the church was born, when the church came, came to light in the city? This light wanted to be snuffed out by false teachers. False teachers wanted to show up and say, that's not real. You have to add this to it or mix it in with this. Let's make a mixed match of this. Let's coexist. And, and they brought impurity to a pure gospel and they wanted to dilute the message and paul and the apostles were having none of that so here's what's happening uh, look at ver- uh, verses one through seven second timothy one through seven but know this hard times will come in the last days for people will be lovers of self lovers of money boastful proud demeaning disobedient to parents ungrateful unholy unloving 
irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Do we see that today? Oh, all over. All over. And, And they saw it then too. This is just what is going to happen. People will exchange the truth of God for a lie and they'll gather around themselves ideas, thoughts, people, messages that will tickle their ears and please them for those desires. And what does the scripture say? It says, avoid these people. Avoid these people. So for you and I, as we pursue servant leaders who would lead us in our church, we should probably avoid those kinds of people. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, look, look at the next passage, or verse. Verse 6. For among them, right? Among them, those, those kinds of people, are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women overwhelming, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions. Always learning and never, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yeah, they, they want a new knowledge, they want a new message, but they are, they are there for their own sordid gain. They want their own pleasures to be satisfied. They want to take advantage of opportunities, take advantage of women, take advantage of the church, and lead the church astray. So with that picture, let us go into qualifications. Because here's the truth about the qualifications to be an elder. It's to be a faithful Christian. Those those qualifications are, are not foreign, except for one of the qualifications we'll see today. They are not foreign to any Christ follower. Every Christ follower should aspire to this kind of character. So let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read verses 2 through 7. We'll read through this list and I'll break them down just briefly, each characteristic. So 2 through 7 of chapter 3. It says, An overseer therefore must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace in the devil's trap. See, what Paul reveals here should not be any surprise. One, because of the false teaching that was going on at that time, there was a lack of character among many of the false teachers. And there's a lack of character in society today. But, but listen, Paul's message was clear. That faithful Christian living, faithful Christian living would characterize godly leaders. Faithful Christian, lead, faithful Christian living would characterize godly leaders. And we're not talking about the superhero status here. Elders are not magnificent superheroes of the church. They're faithful Christians who are living according to God's word, who are called to lead and love and serve the church. They're faithful Christians. So let's, let's go through. I, I, I've kind of separated these into to similar um, qualifications that are on the responsibility page, so you can kind of match them up later if you're taking notes. So the first area that we see here as far as qualified is they exemplify godly character. Exemplify godly character. And here's the list of those things. It said that you should be above reproach. Uh, other words for that, unimpeachable or blameless conduct. That someone couldn't say, I've got something against you. I've got something that we could, we could ruin, man. If I, if I told on you, you would be done. 
right? And again, we're not talking about those little blips on the radar that, that someone says, they did that? Well, I'm sure they didn't mean it that way. You should probably talk to them about that. But that there's a secret habitual thing going on in their life that is against God, right? We're talking about they should be above reproach. The husband of one wife. Uh, a lot of people want to say, well, there's, there's different, different ways to approach this, by the way. They could say that it's one wife at a time, so you should only be married to one person, not several people. That's what some people would say, because in the day, that some people had lots of wives. I don't think that's how they, they were addressing it. Uh, number two was that you could only have one, one woman as, as long as you live, right? So, and some would say that means no divorce, no remarriage. You know, if your wife dies, that's it. You, you had one woman. I think, moreover, in, in, in the, the more probable way, and you could, you could think about that, the more probable harmonization of Scripture is, as Paul continues to talk about sexual fidelity and sexual purity over and over in his epistles, it was a huge rampant problem. That when you look for Christian living and Christian values and Christian character, we want to be sexually pure. We want to be devoted to our spouse if we are indeed married. We want to have no sexual infidelity at all in our marriage. That, that I have eyes for only one woman. That there's no lust, there's no pornographic behavior, there's no uh, carousing with other women, there's no leaving my wife behind. That, that I am fully devoted to my spouse completely, emotionally, physically, sexually. My eyes are on her and on Jesus not somewhere else. That's a one-woman man. Number three is self-controlled. It's pretty simple, right? And, and a lot of these, again, Christian character, Christian living. Self-controlled is they don't fly off the handle. They don't overreact. They don't overindulge. They're evenly tempered. They're steady, not dependent on substance or things to get them through. That's self-controlled. Sensible means they're of sound mind, that they rely on truth and not emotion. And they make wise decisions. It says they should be respectable. Well, they're, they're, there's decency in their character. They have a strong character. They're not over the top, but they are humble. They're respectable. They can be looked at as steady. They're hospitable. They're willing to open one's life and home to serve and love others. It says they're not an excessive drinker. Right? So they don't cling to, to alcohol and abuse it. They aren't drunk on wine, but filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not a bully, but they're gentle. So they're not one who, who's hot-tempered and eager to fight. I can't wait to get into a fight today. I can't wait. To, they, if they say that, I can't wait to jump all over it. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for someone who is, is gentle. They're not quarrelsome. So they're not looking for a fight. They're not ready to debate, right? They're, they're peaceable. They don't have something to prove or an ego that has to be right all the time. And finally, it says in that godly character, they're not greedy. They're, they're satisfied and they're not controlled by money or things. That's, that's the godly character. And, and that, that exemplifies Christian living, by the way. That's what Christ would call all of us to. The next qualification is, is they're able to teach. We see in verse 2 that they should be able to teach. So in Titus, he says, an overseer of God's household uh, should hold to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. That is the only qualification, besides maybe the new convert status down here below, that's really the only qualification that's different than just a Christian who's living in obedience to God. Not every Christian will be able to teach God's word. They should be able to share the hope that's within them, but may not be able to teach God's word. The next says they're faithful to sound doctrine. They're faithful to sound doctrine. They give themselves to the study of sound doctrine. They, they want to find out. They want to wrestle They want to, with, the, with the text so that we could, we could become more conformed to the image of the Son by obeying it fully. 
Timothy exhorts, he says, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things. So you're faithful to sound doctrine. The next thing is that they lead those under their care well. They would lead those under their care well. And, they, and, and, and Paul shows the, the picture of the household, right? He says, if anyone will, uh, he must manage his own household competently. That word manage is oversee and lead and serve, just like it is for an elder. Uh, and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? That's a qualification, right? You're able to take care and lead those under your care. If you're looking for one of these guys on this list, just look at the people that are following them. Look at the people they're teaching. Look at their families, their household. How does that look? That's how they're going to manage the church. That's how they're going to lead the church as well. And finally, the last qualification is they're a spiritually mature male believer. A spiritually mature male believer. I, I want us to, you can write this down and look at it later, but in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes about, the, again, the roles. How should you conduct yourself in the household of God? That's the theme. And, and there's a lot of debate over this text I'm going to present to you, and I'm not going to uh, even present it in its fullness, because there's so much debate and we could spend weeks on it, and we will one day. And it's dealing with what are the roles of men and women in the church? What, what should that look like? And here's, here's the text. Here's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 and through 14. And, and there's more context to this. You can read, read on your own. He says, I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. That, wow, right? What do we do with that? Well, we're not going to do a lot with that today. I'm going I'm to give you some basics on that. Because that, that's deep, right? That's, that's things we'll wrestle with and figure out. That's things we have to answer. What does that mean? But at the very least, let me give you the very least of what that means. And I told you to hang on to two words throughout the message today, didn't I? That elders are people who what? Lead and they teach, right? They, they guide, they rule, they lead, they direct, they shepherd, and then they teach others God's word as well as the office of elder. The office of elder is a leader and teacher. Paul says, I do not permit a woman to what? Teach or to lead. Have authority over a man. And when you combine those two things, at the very least, what, what Paul is saying is that women are not called to eldership. Because there's other places in Scripture we harmonize and we say, well, they do call women to teach. That, that everyone should teach God's Word. Everyone should, should be sharing the message of God. They shouldn't keep quiet. Other places it says that women can speak. How do we harmonize that? Well, overarching, we know that elders are leaders and teachers. And Paul says they can't be leaders and teachers. That's at the very least. And that's where we'll stop today. I don't know how, how far do we go down that rabbit trail. I don't know. How far does that rabbit hole go? I don't know. We are, we are studying it. I am studying it. We're going to look, look at it and find out. But, but we're going to need to harmonize it with other passages in Scripture. What we know is that it needs to be a male. And why? Because God created an order of things. He brings up Adam and Eve. One of the pastors that, that I've, I've researched and talks about this is really interesting. They said, there, think, about, think about it there uh, in the Garden of Eden. The serpent comes. The serpent, the enemy comes over, right, and, and, and to tempt. And, and the passage says and indicates that Adam was there. And what happens is this. The general, the person that God put in charge, decides to step back and be quiet and let the colonel take on the responsibility and just watch. They switch roles. And sin entered the world. I always tell people just because I don't like the, the fact that oh, oh, Eve messed it all up. Before Eve messed it all up, who really messed it all up? 
Adam by doing nothing, by not taking on the role to love, lead, and serve his wife, to obey God, and to, that we, they would be the pillar of truth. There's a role reversal that happened there, and sin entered the world, and condemnation entered the world, and death entered the world, and then Jesus, thank God, entered the world for us. 1 Timothy 3, 6-7, he must not be a new convert. He might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Right, the new convert, you think about a new convert, someone that's fresh out, oh, I'm, I'm excited, I'm excited, let's go, I'm gung-ho. You haven't been tested, you haven't been proven, you haven't, you haven't really figured this out, you don't have any life experience in this yet. We haven't got to see you weather the storms of life and produce a fruit that God will produce in you. That's why an elder should not be a new convert. How long? Well, we don't know. But we have qualifications to see, and we can see, look at consistency there, right? And it says, furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders. There was a church, actually, and we may do this one day with our elders. There's a church I, I, I was studying this week. They take their list of elders, their nominations. Not only do they give it to the church to say, if you have something against them, talk to them, make sure you let us know. They put their names in the newspaper. Say, listen, our church is, is going to install elders, and we want to make sure if there's any charge against these people that is in the community, that you would come let us know. Because we don't want unqualified men serving as leaders in our church. Excuse me, goosebumps. Isn't that crazy? Oh, man. Talk about the laundry list of emails you get after that one. Who knows? Who knows who I've offended and laid down? Must have a good reputation among outsiders. So the, the idea there is, man, when someone says, yeah, I, that guy, that's something cool about that. There's, that guy loves his family. He has some weird ideas, but you know what? Overall, he's a, he's a good, good addition to our community. That's what we're looking for, right? That doesn't fall into disgrace. That disgrace is publicly here, right? When, when, when that community sin becomes public in the church, saying, whoa, you, you act one way here, but you're doing something totally different. Now disgrace is what we have, right? And shame and guilt, and then we have discipline to happen. So it must be a spiritually mature believer, not, not someone who's just kind of wishy-washy, not quite seasoned, but someone that's spiritually mature in their faith. And then finally, elders keep watch over the church, number three, when they're available, when they're available. This is an interesting one because I mentioned this, that elders are called, they're, they're qualified, they're available. And here, here's where this goes. This isn't super biblical. This isn't coming from the text a lot. The only thing I would say is this, that First Timothy says, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. See, elders must not only keep watch over the church, but they must keep watch over their own lives. And there are times in our lives or even in elders' lives where emotionally, spiritually, or physically in some way, they have compromised their availability to lead. And what availability really means is this, that they are consistently, continually called and qualified. And that when, if some big thing happens, something tragic occurs, whether it's sin or just loss or something happens, and that, that elder's ability to focus on shepherding the church has to be strained because they have to focus on their own household, their own family more. We say, God bless you. Go do that. Go do that. Take care of your family. We support you. We encourage you. But this may not be your season to be an elder. Maybe someone says, you know what, listen, I've got, I've got a calling to be an elder and shepherd, but it's not for here. I've got to go to Africa and be a doctor overseas. Okay, I get that. Yeah, absolutely. You're not available, so you can't be our elder, right, in that way. There are times, Larry Schleife, one of the guys on our list, right, he, he winters down in Arizona. He will play a very, very limited role as an elder from Arizona, right? There's, there's times where, yeah, you could Skype him in or FaceTime him into a conversation and prayer time, and you could have phone conversations, but in the lives of the people day in and day out, it's just kind of, it's not, he's not as available during that time. 
right? So that, that's why I put in available. Elders are called and qualified above everything else, but they have to say, are, are you available? You know, did you, do you, just have, you have a, a, a fresh, something new in your life that has all your attention? Do you have a, a new job outside that takes more of your time? Let's, let's make sure that you, you count the cost of that, right, as elders. So that's what we want to see as well. They pay close attention to their life. Uh, one of the things in, uh, in the, the blue sheet, it says, as far as their accountability, um, they, they're accountable to, to, they're constantly evaluated by the other elders, uh, accountable to the other elders, to the personnel committee, to the congregation, and to the elder himself. Right, I mentioned, to thine own self be true, right? There has to be a point in my heart, in my life, where I tell you the honest truth. I say, I can't do this anymore because I'm unqualified. Maybe I've sinned against the church or because God's calling me somewhere else or I'm just not available. I have something else I have to focus on. Right? When we lost Danny and Rena, that, that time, there was, there was a four-week time where I, I just said, I can't preach anymore. I cannot preach anymore. I didn't stop being your pastor. I didn't stop loving you, but you loved me in a way that I needed and our family even. That, that, during that time was a, a huge example of that. Was I available? Not as available as I hope I was. And I look back and say, wow, that, you, you know, I'm so, so grieved that your pastor wasn't available for you, but you were available to me, and I, was, I appreciated that. And, and imagine, even in those times of, of tragic circumstances of loss like that or unavailability, the plurality of elders seems even more appropriate, doesn't it? Who filled, who filled the gap when I, when I wasn't here? Who jumped, who jumped up on the pulpit during a candlelight vigil? Hoyt did, right? Guys, guys like Jeff or Larry or Alistair or Hoyt or Dave Holst or Ryan, they do that. They fill that gap. That's, that's what the plurality of elders should look like. Called, qualified, available men. All right? That's number two. Questions and answers tonight, 530. All right, let's stand and pray. Chris. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. We thank you that you have given us your word, that, that God, and, and in your word as we look today, that you have made us to be the household of God that we are your family, that we're your kids, and you are our Father, and we want to elevate you and, and lift you up more than anything else. And God, as, as the household of God, we know that you are a part of that as a living spirit that guides us and directs us and inhabits and in the praises of his people. So Lord, we want to be that living, vibrant church seeking after you as our guide. And God, we want to be the pillar and foundation of truth. We want to lift up and support God's word and hold it firm above everything else. And God, how do we do that? We know that you've given us gifts in leadership, people who could, who could lead and teach and shepherd God's flock that we stay on course. So God, we praise you because of that. Help us to be in prayer and constantly uh, thinking through, God, what you'd have us do as individuals or as elders. God, we want, we want your wisdom. We want your grace. Ultimately, we want to see your church and your kingdom grow. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, we're going to go ahead and dismiss today. we got Sunday school going on pretty quick. Uh, if you want to stick around and ask questions, I'll be up front. Uh, tonight is also a Q&A as well. God bless you guys. Love you.